0: Welcome to episode three of Hockey Pod, the International Hockey Federation's monthly podcast where we talk to a range of guests about all things hockey. So grab yourselves a coffee, sit back, and enjoy episode three of Hockey Pod. I'm absolutely delighted today to welcome um, a, a wide range of guests. Um, our uh, our co-host for the day is Jana muller the captain of Germany. She's actually been a member of the German squad since 2008 uh, and in that time has amassed 311 senior caps. The medals in the cabinet, um, well, it must be a very, very large cabinet, but the highlights, gold medals at the, uh, at the Indoor World Cup in 2018, silver at the 2019 Euro Hockey Championships, bronze at the 2016 Olympic Games, and as I say, the list of medals goes on and on. We're going to be joined in just a short while by Adrian Locke, who is head coach to the Spanish women's national team and has been in that role since 2013. Uh, he led them to a bronze at the 2018 World Cup, a bronze in the 2019 Euro Hockey Championships, An eighth place finish at the 2016 Rio Olympics and the team has qualified for the Tokyo Olympics after winning in dominant style at the Olympic qualifiers in Valencia. Uh, We also have Sarah Bennett, who represented Zimbabwe as goalkeeper at the 2005 Junior World Cup. Um, And actually, that's where Jana also played. That I did. And it's great to see you again 15 years later. Um, Since then, Sarah, you've made your mark as an official, as an umpire, as a technical official, um, a tournament director and a pro league match manager. Um, And you're also going to be in Tokyo as a technical official. Um, Sarah also, a very, very busy lady, holds a position as Secretary General at the Zimbabwe Hockey Association, is a member of the Africa Hockey Federation. um, And within that role, she's chair of the Africa Hockey Development Committee. So thank you very much for taking time out of your day to join us, Sarah. Hello.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolute pleasure. And we're also joined by um, a legend of the game. Uh, There's no other way to describe him. Norman Hughes. He's a former GB and England captain. Uh, He won Olympic bronze in Los Angeles in 1984, silver in London in 1986. Uh, He was the coach of the Great Britain men's squad in Barcelona for the Olympic Games, the Lahore World Cup. Um, He's been a member of the European Hockey Federation 15 years and he is currently the FIH lead on Hockey ID. Uh, welcome to you Norman.
2: Hi there everybody, good to meet you all.
0: Um, and as per usual um, Richard is joining me as co-host of the, of the podcast um, and Richard and Yanni are now going to take us through some of the news. Hello
3: Sarah, um, how are you
0: by the way? Oh, okay? I'm fine, I'm actually out of breath after all those introductions. <laughs>
3: Oh, good. Um, Yeah, we'll just go through some news stories. Um, We start with uh, some sad news uh, regarding um, the former South African men's head coach Fabian Gregory, um, who's passed away in Hong Kong at the age of 47. Gregory had been in Hong Kong working with the men's national team since 2017 and made a huge contribution to their uh, high performance programme. Um, He was greatly admired, uh, well-liked member of the South African and global hockey family, and will be sorely missed by everyone. Um, At this stage, I'd actually quite like to ask Sarah Bennett for a a comment on this because uh, he he was obviously a significant member of the African hockey family. What are your thoughts, Sarah?
1: Yeah, Richard, uh, it's a massive loss not only um, to South African hockey but Africa hockey as a whole. Um, The amount of time, effort and commitment he put into getting um, Africa hockey on the map, but the South African men in a major way, um, and obviously now party, that knowledge he passed on in Hong Kong, so it's a massive loss for somebody of that age and that experience, so yeah, our thoughts are with his family and the hockey community as a whole.
3: Thanks for that comment, yeah, I think that we're, we're all feeling the same way, certainly the FAH um, expressed their uh, their thoughts to his family. Moving on to uh, slightly uh, happier news, uh, Monday the 4th of January was the 200 days to go marker uh, for the Tokyo Olympic Games. Um, as everyone knows that the Games were due to take place in July and August of 2020. That was until the uh, the pandemic hit and, uh, and we, well, the whole world was put on hold. All efforts are being made to ensure that uh, a safe and secure Games will be delivered, something that the entire global sporting family is keen to see including our guest host, Jana, uh, whose Germany team have been drawn into Pool A alongside World Champions the Netherlands, Olympic Champions GB, as well as Ireland, the World Cup silver medalists, uh, India and South Africa. That's a pretty tough pool, Jana.
4: Yeah, it actually is. Even when you said it now with Olympic medalist, uh, European champions, World Cup silver medalist, I think it would be a great um, yeah, great group and, and four European teams would be interesting as well. So, yeah, let's see.
3: I'm sure that Germany will be uh, be ready ready to go as, uh, as as much as they can be. Um, how are preparations going for Germany? Obviously, in the build up towards towards Tokyo and, and a busy year ahead.
4: Yeah, so we're just starting now. Again, we had a big S and C physical block over over the winter, like the last. 10 weeks probably and now we're coming together as a team again on um, Friday and we've got another camp and it's a bit problematic because it's it's we plan to play against other nations but with COVID it's it's very uncertain so we don't have any games now we might have some games in February so it's a lot of yeah planning and dealing with uncertainty but it will be definitely will be good to get together with with the team and just play some hockey together again
3: Absolutely. I I mean, the Olympic Games are obviously the main focus um, for everyone this year, but uh, it isn't the only hockey being played, of course. The extended season two of the FIH Pro League will resume and um, be concluded by May, with season three starting in October. Um, There's obviously all the continental championships which will be taking place. Uh, There's FIH Junior World Cups and the various qualifiers for those competitions. I mean, obviously, the battle for COVID is continuing, but there's, there's certainly plenty to be optimistic about, Jana. I mean, it could be a really great year for the sport.
4: Well, yeah, it could be an amazing year. We've got Europeans before the Olympics. We've got potentially an EHL for for some of the club teams. We've got, I think we're the only nation who didn't play one uh, pro league game before COVID hit. So we played against belgium in like last year in october but we still got 14 games to go which is amazing if you, if if they all happen but again i mean we, we have to see what happens and we're grateful for any play game that we can play and obviously we're really keeping our fingers crossed that the olympics would go ahead but um yeah if it just gets a bit better than now i think we should be fine
3: thank you so yeah we're, we're talking about games um ad lock is now is now with us uh and um, nice to see you ad i hope everything's okay
5: Hi, yes, thank you for inviting me. I'm very sorry that I'm late. Yes, so I came running back from the pitch now. We've just managed to fit a game in. Oh, good. Yeah, so um,
3: you, you've obviously, you're in the middle of uh, some matches against, uh, or your Spanish team are in the middle of some matches against against Ireland. It must be quite nice to uh, to actually play some hockey. Um, I mean, a lot, a lot of other nations are not having that opportunity. It, might, it must be fantastic to get out there on the pitch again.
5: Yes, it is. Uh, I think we've been quite lucky. Um, in the fact, that our league has, has been able to We've had our full first round of games and cup competition, and now to get some international games uh, under our belts is is fantastic. We had some some games in December against uh, Belgium. Uh, these games now against Ireland, and some games coming up against GB as well. So I think we've been uh, really fortunate to be able to get out on the pitch. That's fantastic. I mean, you,
3: you've been with the uh, the Red Sticks since 2013 as, as head coach. Well, During that time, have you been able to develop an, an ethos uh, type of behaviour and a set of expectations within your team?
5: Yeah, I think it's, it's, I've been lucky that I've, I've been able to have that amount of time with the team and, and develop together. Uh, I think quite a lot of the team I, I coached before as well. So, I mean, some of the members of the team have been together as players and coach for like 11, 12 years now. So it's a really long time. Um, but I think we've kind of been on the journey together because I started out as quite a naive coach, I think. And I've, I've kind of grown as a coach as well. And the, um, and the team has as well. So we, we kind of set out how we we're going to grow in terms of setting out our objectives year by year. Uh, and I think we've been together for so long now that we really feel like uh, we're a family in the last three or four years, especially we spent a lot more time, um, like you say, thinking about how we are as people and as a family we spend so much time together away from home and how our behaviors are and adding details in, finding out who we want to be and, and setting our sights and targets more from a behavioral point of view, as well as on the sporting side. But first of all, it was kind of the sporting side. And then we kind of added things in. But also, as, as, as I learned as a coach, I think the things that we work on now, I, I wouldn't, I didn't really know much about when I started out. So it's kind of part of the journey that we've been on together. Well, you talk about the
3: journey. It has been has been quite an impressive one. I mean, especially with a couple of years ago winning winning the the bronze medal at the World Cup. I mean, the team have really have, have developed. And what's the kind of aims going into into this year ahead of us?
5: Yeah, I think the results have have been favourable for us in the last um, couple of years. Uh, but also, we're very conscious that sometimes you can do the same the same work and, and we don't have a tangible result at the end of it I think a lot of teams work very hard and and obviously not everyone can win but everyone kind of deserves it so I mean I think we've been lucky in that way but we try not to focus too much on on, on the results uh, rather than we try to spend much more time on how, how we can improve and what aspects can we can we work on to keep getting better and in this year that's coming uh, we're, we're trying to keep ourselves uh, feet on the floor in that way it's, it's nice to get some results everyone's happy attention now and then but it could also easily defect, deflect away from how we got there in the, in the in the first place which is through hard work so I think we're trying to keep looking for how we can improve and then we know that our chances of getting a result are better but there's no guarantees so we're trying to keep our focus in that way. Well, i mean it,
3: it is a big year with the european championships and uh, and ov- and obviously the olympics something which affects both you and uh, and and jana as, as Germany captain i mean um i'd be interested to kind of get you guys talking about this i mean is there a a, a way that which you guys are towards are building towards those those competitions i mean it will things start ramping up as the closer we get towards things
4: i think um i know obviously we we've started last year the preparation already and now this is the first camp we'll have um this week but it's it's, I think it's good for us to know we've got the Europeans because I think the likelihood of the Europeans going ahead is probably higher than the whole Olympics. So we definitely have a highlight, we like to think, um, to work towards it. Um, But then interestingly, you probably can't have, you can't peak at the Europeans because you've got the Olympics afterwards. So it's it's a different way of planning the whole year and as I said we've got a lot of pro league games to get in so we might be really exhausted by the time the Europeans come around but then again it's a competition and it's a um, it's one of the best competitions and, and you'll give it your all but yeah it's, it's for us it's always a big balance act to combine Bundesliga which is a, plays a very big role for us um, then potentially EHL so many pro league games Europeans and and then the Olympics but it's that's why we use the time now before the Bundesliga starts kind of have a little bit of a break of, with the national team during the Bundesliga period and then go back, um, yeah, basically 24-7, 24/7 with the, with the um, national team again.
3: Uh, same question for you, AD. So, so uh, just building up towards towards the Euros,
5: I guess. Yeah, exactly. I mean, our situation is slightly different because we don't have Pro League. So those quality matches on a regular basis, we don't have. So we have to look for alternatives uh, on the other hand it allows us to maybe accumulate more games in training camp situations which maybe reproduce more tournament situations rather than than one-off games but then again it's a complicated year in, in terms of knowing what you can what we what teams are going to be allowed to travel to set the planning up to we get the, the sufficient number of games uh Towards the Europeans to the Olympics, and like Jenna said, it's, it's, it's difficult because there's two competitions quite close together. Then looking at how to peak and how to how much to train, how much to play, how much to rest, so you arrive at the competitions sufficiently prepared but not overcooked, and that sometimes is is quite hard. It's in, in odd years, if you like, in 15, 17, 19, it's, it's been a little bit like that with the world uh, the world league three and then the Europeans. Or the world series for us and the europeans in 2019 and then the the olympic qualifier afterwards is having various peaks is, is sometimes quite hard but i think it's we're getting better at it but now it's just a question of getting matches under our belt and playing enjoying the moment i think uh, i think what's something that coronavirus has given us is that we appreciate what we've got when we've got it uh, and we know that it can be taken away at any time so we're just trying to live the moment we just
4: got a, we just got the plan for our next camp and in one day it says um test match and everyone got really excited like who are we playing what are we doing <laughs> and then rec our coach said no we're just playing amongst each other and everyone again was oh you know it's just <laughs> you just want to play and and ideally not against your teammates but yeah um you you've, you're in a very fortunate position right now i think in, in spain.
5: Yes, definitely. I think I think the girls appreciate that. And and talking to the I was with the, the GB staff yesterday and they said their teams are excited, the fact that he can play, like I say, against another team and not just into team matches, which what I guess everyone's been doing a little bit. I think also with with the with the women's hockey, we're a little bit luckier that we can get good quality games against men's teams as well. It's not obviously not the same, but I think we do with the women's hockey have that maybe advantage over men's hockey that that really struggle a little bit more.
3: Looking ahead to looking ahead to Tokyo um, with the Spanish team. Um, AD. Uh, you guys have been drawn into Pool B, so you've got Australia, Argentina, New Zealand, China and Japan. I, I realise it's a long way off, but uh, what, what are your thoughts about about that particular pool? It's, it's
5: obviously a non-European pool, uh, which is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of nice because we play so much against European teams, it's nice to play against the other teams a little bit. Uh, and again, like I say, cause we don't have the Pro League, we don't that, that, get that opportunity. But I mean, also, it's a style of hockey that we're, we're comfortable with most styles. Um, I think the Asian teams is is what we play least against, especially the the Chinese kind of style. I think the Japanese is not quite so, I'm going to say not quite so Asian. It's not quite the same, not quite so different, to be like. But I, I think all it's Olympics, and and obviously all the games are going to be hard. I think uh, currently in the top, I don't know maybe 16 ranked ranked teams in the in the in the women's world ranking. So it's so competitive, there's there's very little difference. I mean, you look at some of the teams like, I can't remember the ranking offhand, but maybe Italy, uh, Canada, those kind of things. I mean, they're really tough teams as well, and they're down 15, 16th in the ranking, but you come up against them, they're not easy matches. So, I mean, it's a question of preparing ourselves as best as possible. And, and obviously going into tournament with uh, the build-up as it is, I mean, it's a little bit of a lottery as well, because um, I think no one's played that much hockey, so it's not like everyone's on a roll, uh, it's a little bit I think it's going to be quite open so uh, I think we're just looking at the pool as we always do to to set our objectives to go game by game like most teams will do and to build into the tournament as well I mean we know all the teams there's not any teams there that we haven't played against ever which has happened in the past so I think uh, we know what we're doing so it's, uh, we're just looking forward to it I'll just wrap it up with one final question
3: so in your seven years in charge of the uh, of the Red Sticks if it's possible to choose one
5: what would be the best moment for you? And it was actually at the Olympic Qualifier because I think the Olympic Qualifier was a moment as a team, as a squad, as a whole, that everything that we were working on the two or three years before came together. And it wasn't just in terms of the hockey on the pitch. It was as a group. Um, we managed to get a whole squad there at the Olympic Qualifier playing at home. So we selected the team, I think, the week before. And obviously, when there are always hard moments when you're doing team selection. I think as a as a head coach, it's, it's one of those not enjoyable moments, of, uh, but, but it's part of the job. And right at the same time, I, I asked all the players who weren't selected if they wanted to come and be with the team for the Olympic qualifier. And and all of them immediately, I thought they'd think about it a bit. Um, uh, it's obviously a difficult moment for everyone. And But all of them immediately wanted to be with the team at that time. Uh, and so we, at, in the Olympic qualifier, we had the whole team together, the whole squad together in the hotel in the preparation and not just the team that was actually going to play the qualifier. And for me, that represented everything that we've done the last, especially last two or three years and and the togetherness as a group and the willingness of everyone feels like they're part of the group and can help the group, even Mm -hmm. when they're not playing. And I think that strength of uh, feeling towards the team is, goes ahead of each, each individual. For me, I think that that was the most kind of exciting kind of moments so far I've ever had as a coach because that is the basis of of then going on and and playing and competing and, and having that unity and I think that's a major part of where we draw our strength and our competitiveness what a great story
0: thank you um I'm going to pass back to Sarah now and uh, you can take it forward First of all, Adie, can I ask you a, a quick question? You're looking very, very hip today. And uh, Yeah, this is this is great for podcasting, obviously, because nobody could see you. But I just wondered, um, are we going to have a separate uh, a separate Twitter account for the beard again?
5: <laughs> yeah, I did. I didn't know about it originally. I think some of our, my my staff, a member of my staff who is not currently in my staff anymore, so that be a good way to Set it up and uh, I obviously hadn't been giving him enough video and things to do and he had too much free time so I think it's too far away to keep that going now I think.
0: (laughs) It's looking good anyway Um, and I'm just going to before again before I head over to the news just going to ask Jana um, would you be able to give us the uh, the listener's question today Jana please?
4: Yeah so as Sarah said earlier in in 2005 both myself and and Sarah played the Junior World Cup in Santiago de Chile. So, the question is, where did we, Team Germany, finish?
0: So, you've got it there. Uh, there are no prizes for the answer, but there's uh, the self-satisfaction of, uh, of knowing the answer to that question, which uh, uh, we will reveal at the end of the show. We're going to head now to uh, speak to Norman Hughes. And one of the reasons we've got Norman on the call uh, is because of the uh, brilliant news uh, that Hockey hockey ID is going to be included in the 2023 Special Olympics. So, Norman, first of all, congratulations on, on that achievement, because I know you've been spearheading uh, that that for, for a long time. Um, I just wondered if you could just outline uh, for us the, the growth in provisions and opportunities for, for Hockey ID yeah, I
2: mean it was great news to get into the Special Olympics World Games, but the real the real impetus it's a great example of uh, events inspiring action uh, because we attended the 2011 Munchen Gladbach Euro Nations, and alongside that there was a memorial tournament, tournament the Walter Tournier happening, and several of the members of the Inc. European Hockey Committee and myself we. As development officer, we attended that event, and we were really inspired by just the, a the quality of hockey, but b the atmosphere around the event. Uh, and so, at that stage, we decided, as an organisation, we ought to invest more and do more to make sure that we do actually deliver hockey for all. Big, a big, uh, a big turning point was in twenty fourteen. The executive board of European Hockey decided that when a nation bids to host the European nations championships, they have to agree to host the Euro hockey intellectual disability championships alongside them. It's a part of the bidding process. Politically, that was a major step forward because it meant that then England, Belgium, Germany, Holland, Spain, whoever bid for that event had to include para hockey, hockey ideas we now call it, intellectual disability hockey. I then uh, was lucky that Marijke Fleuren, the president of FIH, got to know Natasha Broyers of Special Olympics Netherlands, and that gave us a good network into the Special Olympics family. Actually, in uh, in Dubai at the uh, congress at the FIH congress, uh, the FIH signed an MOU agreement with an organisation called Inas, that's now morphed into Virtus, and that's the the International Federation for Intellectual Disability Sport, all sports. But that's at the elite end of things. In the grassroots end of things, the actual partnership with Special Olympics is vitally important to global growth and inspiring more and more people to take part.
0: I think it will be clear to a lot of people, but I think it's worth reiterating the benefits—the benefits of being involved in in, in sport um, for the athletes who are taking part, but also the coaches and the volunteers who get involved as, as well. You know, what 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 does it mean to be involved in an inclusive sport such as such as hockey? I d.
2: It's the same experience, to be honest, as a regular hockey player. You make friends, you've got teammates. It's a very sociable sport. Bear in mind the challenges that. Uh, the intellectual disability person faces in normal society, getting social interaction can be quite challenging for them away from home, especially in COVID times. So when you see them at tournaments, actually welcoming the Italian team that they met two years ago, and the friends for life. And one thing that we're all missing now, the hugging, eh? All of these players just love to have a great big hug and a, what have you been up to? Where have you been? How are you doing? I've noticed it. When we had a little tournament in Essen in 2015, uh, the German left half and the Italian right half, to put it politely, had a good, healthy rivalry on the pitch. (laughs) It got a bit fractious at times. But the first person to greet that right winger off the bus in Essen was that German left half, going up to him and hugging him and saying, how have you been doing? Now, the guy doesn't speak any German and he needed help, but it's just great to see Friends for Life being formed and to actually see the mums and dads and the balmy armies that come with the group, realising what their kids are getting out of the, uh, the, uh, the experience. I spoke to Steve Bradley, the England coach, and he said the most rewarding thing for him is out of the 10 people from Midland Mencap, that he brought down to the London event in 2015 and then over to the Amsterdam event in 2017. Five of that group are now in full-time employment because their social skills have improved so much and their confidence improved so much that they're now holding up full-time jobs down. And he said, without the hockey experience in the tournaments, he doubted whether that would have been possible. One thing I'd say is how inspiring it is to this group Jana, when your group come over and meet and interact with the German team and the Dutch girls are fabulous at it, and our girls, uh, uh, Alex Danson's group, came over to Amsterdam and basically that inspires them, but it's just great to see that interaction between the regular squads, international squads, and the para-hockey, the hockey ID squads.
4: Just going to say we... I haven't worked with them, but we, whenever we have Europeans and they are there to have their own Europeans as well, we we always try to meet up and in, in, in I think 2019 and in, in Belgium, we had a session with them and then we had another free day and we could decide, do we want to go and watch the men's game in the stadium? Or do you want to go and watch our special hockey team play? And most of us actually went for, <laughs> you know, to support the special hockey team, which was like a highlight for them, but as well as for us, because it's, it's just so nice and they're so appreciative of it. And, and we really enjoy it. And, um, Sally Oros and our team, her brother is disabled. So we kind of have a connection to that anyway. And it's just nice to see how easily you can make a difference and, you know, support. And yeah, so it's yeah, great news.
0: It, it's something I was going to ask you about, Jana, actually, because obviously the Special
4: Olympics are taking place in Berlin in 2023. How, how does that make you feel? Oh, I think it's great. And I, I think in, in general, it's great. Um, and having it in Germany is even better. And, and obviously that will help um, to advance our inclusive sports landscape um but I think it's good to see for the hockey world and everyone is out to see that more scl- more sports and more clubs and everyone they're joining that movement and that they get the you know they they can join the party they can join the show and and as I said like we know the special hockey team quite well and it's just lovely to you know see that they've got the opportunity to attend such an event as well.
0: Mm. Uh, Norman how can people get involved?
2: I think the best first uh, call is call your National Federation and find out where the groups are in your nation. Uh, Mostly in Europe, they're based around clubs, but in in other parts of the world, obviously, clubs aren't necessarily the focus. It could be other organisations, special schools, special institutions, uh, in particular, uh, special Olympics groups, basically. So contact your local hockey federation or your special Olympics national federation and find out where the groups are active. And then my, I also was worried when I first started, you know, have I got the right skills to benefit the group and, you know, give to the group. And to be honest with you, it makes you into a better coach because you've got to stop talking and demonstrate more. Coaches are very good at doing a lot of that, aren't they at times? And it it really shows you that colour coding your drills and demonstrating the visual is far more important than doing a lot of that. (laughs) And letting letting them have a go and letting them fail and letting them succeed. If I can say without German hockey board's support, we'd have never have made the uh, World Games in Berlin. Their bid process with Maren Boyer and Linda Sandlau that one, was excellent and that actually got us the vote above, above 10 other sports and there's a massive drive now for volunteers in Berlin so if anybody's really interested in taking part get on the Special Olympics website and volunteer to be a volunteer in Berlin in
0: 2023. Brilliant, heard it here everybody. Um, um, so we're we're back now with, uh, with, with Sarah Bennett from Zimbabwe and Rich I think you're going to you've got a few questions you'd like to ask.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, Sarah, lovely to talk, talk to you. Thanks for joining us today. Um, let's talk about your development work first. So um, the past few months have been difficult for anyone involved in organising hockey activities, but Zimbabwe has its own additional problems. What has been the major challenges and barriers to you fulfilling your role as chair of the development committee? And how have you addressed those challenges?
1: um yeah thanks richard obviously 2020 everybody around the world has been a massive learning curve especially for myself because i only took on this role in august 2019 and as you can tell today we've been struggling with signal so massive learning curves and the problems we've faced is the internet having your fih educators to deliver your courses because normally around africa we tie up um, face-to-face delivery of coaching courses and workshops. So there's been that adjustment um, and delivering the courses online is the internet and the major thing, and I must say a big thank you to FIH Academy here is the cost factor of getting our coaches and technical officials and umpires onto those courses um, and the support from FIH Academy and Asia Hockey has been outstanding with getting the ball rolling and exposing our coaches and officials to the standard that's out there and all the different levels and courses available. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think one of the, um,
0: you know, you, you look across the continent of of Africa and there are pockets of the continent where there's some very consistent level of hockey development going on. How do you develop a bigger picture, a consistent development across the, across the whole continent? I mean, that's you, you've only been enrolled a short time um, and I'm guessing that's probably one of your, your biggest challenges, Sarah.
1: Yeah, um, so the approach we're trying to take is um, hockey without borders. So that's the motto we're using at the moment with Africa Hockey, is hockey without borders. So we've broken up, obviously, into the north, the south, east, and west. And the main aim at the moment is to try and get educators in all the different disciplines who can deliver those courses in those different regions because the distance you're covering to do that course face-to-face is not an option financially. So the ultimate is, yeah, hockey without borders, Um, and UK sport have been part of the setup as well, and obviously that's been affected with 2020 and the COVID-19 that we find ourselves all facing at the moment. But, yeah, we're pushing the hockey without borders, but we're starting from getting the educators to be able to deliver those courses and workshops. That's the main aim at the moment. I think we averaged about 64 courses or workshops last year, and we exposed over 400 coaches which normally in a year um, with all the African tournaments, would we would never be anywhere near those figures. Mm. So it has brought a positive as well and taught us that we can deliver courses and they don't have to be face-to-face. Um, we can get to use the technology that's available when it's not covid times um there's a steady a
0: steady trickle of uh, of people particularly from uh europe who come across to offer hockey training um coaching um hockey camps and things like that and i know Jana, you've you've been involved in um in a tree planting campaign in in parts of africa haven't you i don't know if you want to tell us a little bit about that
4: yeah so we actually started 2018 no 2019 end of 2019 sorry I get confused with the new year in the last year, um to to start raising money to plant trees and offset our own carbon footprint because we as a national team inevitably we have to travel um, so much and fly around the world but we know that everyone else even if you just live a normal life you still travel a lot and and or not even travel but just the, the way you live you um, have a certain carbon footprint and, and therefore we started the fundraising campaign and in the end I think our goal was to raise 20,200 in the motto of 2020 Olympics um, euros to, to plant trees which we achieved uh, as well and, and when we were in South Africa in, uh, we went to the Post Foundation uh, actually German hockey has been working with them over the years already more in their sports project but they also have a yeah, they also plant trees and everything. So we planted the first, I don't know, 600 trees ourselves. Um, and then the rest, they they took over while we were gone. And, and that was really nice to see how... We could mobilise the the hockey community and how many people who we'd never heard of or never expected it from uh, said, "I want a tree in the hockey forest." So the hockey forest is still there and growing. And actually, before Christmas last year, so a couple of weeks ago, we said, um "Yeah, just give away a Christmas tree." Obviously, it wouldn't be a Christmas tree, but in, as a symbol of Christmas tree. And if you donate another tree now, you get a Christmas card from the national teams. And if you donate more than four trees, you get a video message and that again was a really nice little campaign to, to keep that going and you know keep the forest growing over over the years now. So and that's brilliant and that's that's just
0: one example of sort of European influence across the across the um, across the continent but Sarah I just wondered um how you see the best way of harnessing that that willingness
1: of other nations to, to get involved? Um yeah definitely there needs to be a building of the relationship and harnessing those existing relationships that are already there um but luck like for an example, um, HSZ with the FIH Academy in November, um, Sarah, you covered that story. Mm. We, um, we had educators from around the world who did um, the courses for us pro bono at no charge to the National Association, which exposed 16 candidates per course. So with our, our main aim for 2021 is the growing of the education of our Coaches and facilitators who can deliver the course. And maybe that's one way we can further the game in Africa is using the educators pro bono, but focusing national association by national association.
3: Sarah, I think a lot, of, a lot of people in the world won't be entirely sure about what you do when you go to an FIH event as an official. Maybe you could give them a, a brief overview of, of what you do.
1: Okay, a brief overview. All right. um, <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, um, it's all your tournament preparation. So if you're the TD, you've liaised with your teams, you've done all on arrival, you've done all your kit checks, your passport checks, you've met your managers, your umpires' managers, you've had your meeting with your tournament doctors, and basically those are all your pre-tournament meetings. Um, after that, and once the tournament gets going, you're the liaison between the team and the TD, uh, if you're the technical official on that game. And your main thing is what our new role is, we're called match managers, is you managing those games and ensuring that you follow the FIH rules and regulations um, and the, for the betterment of hockey and the development of the sport.
0: And in, in, in those roles, I mean, you do sort of get some really great experiences. What What's sort of been your most amazing or eye-opening moment?
1: Obviously, um, eye-opening experiences, that is, which I've experienced, where we've actually had officials come to tournaments in Africa where I've been a TD, and officials have walked away after that and said, you don't realise how you can develop your skills as a TD or a technical official depending on the circumstances you find yourself in, like now you're hot spotting off your phone because the power's gone off or the internet connection's gone. And, um, but the good experiences, and it's hard to explain to somebody until you've been there and done it. And the videos I took to do justice was the Indoor World Cup in Germany in 2018. I was a technical official there, and you can't explain to anybody that atmosphere, the crowd, the feeling when you've got the t- – halls running coinciding with each other and yeah the videos don't do it justice and to come home and to be able to pass that knowledge on and that enthusiasm and what you went through um you've got to be there to believe it
0: um i think you touched on it in the in the earlier answers but how important is it for you um and and for others from the african continent to be involved in officiating at the top level
1: yeah no definitely so if your exposure at the top level um in short, you're trying to keep up with the modern game, and people's approaches to and interpretations of rules and regulations. That those who play hockey regularly, like Germany, you've got all those pro league games still to go, and the officials that officiate those games will keep up with the modern game and your rules and regulations, especially when it comes to your umpiring as well and your coaching setup. Um, with back home and in Africa. If you're not exposed to those high-level games, when you go to a tournament, unless you prepared yourself mentally or physically as an umpire, you your starting block is a bit further behind. So it can affect one's performance. So to be exposed at a high level and more consistently is to an added advantage and obviously the knowledge you bring home. Absolutely. Um, the final question I've
0: got for you, I'm actually going to ask everybody to answer this um, individually. So, um, so. Tune in with your answers, people. But Sarah, I'll I'll start with you first. Uh, What are your hopes and
1: aspirations for hockey for the next year or so? In the next year, um, obviously, just develop my skills personally with delivering of courses and imparting my knowledge. And back in the day when I was a lot younger, a teacher once said to me, um, the capacity to learn is a gift, the ability to learn is a skill and the willingness to learn is a choice. And that's something that stuck with me over the years. And it's something I'd like to continue to impart on anybody I come across with or have the pleasure of working with over the next 12 months.
0: Brilliant. Norman, what are, you, what are your hockey ambitions for the next 12 months? Yeah, to make a success
2: of the European uh, Hockey ID Championships in June this year alongside the Euro Nations. And to keep pushing the growth globally to make sure we've got about 25 nations with proper programs in place by uh, Berlin 2023. We've got nice little groups now in Australia, New Zealand, Pakistan starting up, America really keen. Come on, Zimbabwe, where are you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's another job for you, Sarah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Adi?
5: Obviously my aspirations are are, are more reduced than the Normans and Sarah's and, and just towards the Spanish, the Spanish group, and, and I hope that we can keep uh, well, first of all, playing matches and 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 prepare ourselves for for the Europeans and and, and the Olympics that are ahead and, and keep preparing ourselves for for afterwards as well. It's not long afterwards that we've got a Home World Cup, which has been a long time since we've had Home World Cup. So we're already starting our preparations for that. And 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 to keep going and keep learning and and keep growing as a group together. Um, I think we've got some of our teams who, are some of our players who are probably going to finish at the end of this year. So hopefully to give them a good, a good send off.
4: Absolutely, Jana? Yes, yeah, similar. I just hope that we can have a um, a good preparation for the Europeans and the Olympics. I hope that they go ahead and that we are able to succeed. And um, knowing that those will be my last Olympics, I obviously you know, even more than you usually want to give it my all. And I think it's always very achievable to, to try to not look back and regret something um, which is easier said than done. But so there are a lot of stones we don't want to leave unturned and a lot of things we want to do, but again, only yeah, depending on all the restrictions. Um, but apart from that, I think it would be great for everyone. If just hockey on, or even on a grassroots level, if we are able to play play again, to be out there and train and, and play the the game we love. Absolutely. Well, they're, they're great aspirations and, and uh, words from all of you. Thank
0: you very much for that. Um, really, it, it's just a couple of things now. I think Yana, you've got the answer to the uh, to the question that you set the listeners earlier.
4: Oh yeah. So so we won one silver. So we lost to Korea in the final. I think one nil or two nil. You you were no better than me, sir. But silver medal it was
3: one nil. Sorry. There
4: you go. You, you, got it. you got it from the hockey
0: geek. There you go. <laughs> um, Rich, uh, do you want to just round up with all the details on watching and reading about hockey?
3: Yeah, sure. So um obviously you can keep up to date with uh, all the latest hockey news um via the FIH website, so FIH.ch, or by following the FIH social media channels um on Facebook, F I Hockey, Instagram, F I Hockey, and Twitter at Um Don't forget to download the Watch.Hockey app where you can find the latest news and interviews as well as action replays and highlights. Uh, Simply search Watch.Hockey in the App Store or on Google Play. For those who prefer to watch uh, hockey on a slightly bigger screen, simply visit www.watch.hockey on your laptop or tablet.
0: A huge thank you to the guests today. Um, that was a really varied, really lively show. Thank you to Norman very much indeed for uh, for giving up your time. Uh, Sarah, uh, whose to-do list is enormous, but still found time to uh, to join us. To ad who rushed off the pitch. We didn't even ask you the result of the game, ad Was it a win? Was it a loss? Was it a draw?
5: We, we won today. We lost our first game and so we won the second game. Excellent.
0: Well done. Um, and a really, really big thanks to our guest co-host today, Jana muller Um Thank you very much for joining us and uh, keeping us all in check there. Um, and as usual, a big thank you to uh, to Richard as well. But, uh, thank you, everybody.